Boom. What is happening, my drug-loving friends? I probably shouldn't say that. Some people listening to this probably still love drugs. Others are over it. Others are looking for solutions. Whatever the case, you're in the right spot because on this show, we talk about all things drugs and alcohol, addiction, addiction recovery, um, and anything else that's interesting in the space. Oh, look, uh, it's uh, quite late at night here and I'm in a bit of a silly mood. Um, so I'll try and keep it to fucking gather for the intro of this podcast. Um, now, just quickly, you might have seen in our feed with one of the other podcasts, I keep forgetting to address it. Um, I think it says like how to get meth in rehab or something like that. It's not meant to say that. It's a spelling mistake. <laughs> uh, I'm hopeless um, at spelling if you can't tell already if you follow our stuff. Um, uh, so sorry about that. But hey, hopefully it attracts a few people that maybe wouldn't have come across our uh, podcast normally um, and you know plant a seed somewhere or something like that <laughs> um, hey guys it's really good to be back this year as I've talked about a little bit we've had a bit of a chaotic start um, to the year in my life personally it's just been a number of shocking things going on to be honest um, and it's uh, <laughs> we had all these grand fucking plans for the start of the year and boom um, you know lots of different stuff happens as it does in life but we're excited to start to get the wheels in motion again and try and put out one show a week. That's the goal anyway. I've said it before, so I'm not going to go on about it too much, but I'm pretty confident we're back into the swing of it. Um, really cool show this week. Um, and we have some really cool things coming with Real Drug Talk, actually, that we were meant to launch at the start of the year. So keep your eyes out for that and keep your eyes on the website. Um, and if you want to be a part of it, please let us know. Um, so today, just quickly before we jump into the show, as always, if you're looking for help, um, but you don't necessarily want to engage in the traditional treatment system and go away to rehab for 30, 60, 90 plus days and be away from family and all that kind of stuff, we actually run um, a treatment program called Connection Based Living, where we show people how to break through um, addictive patterns and... Uh, yeah change their life basically without having to kind of go away to rehab and check out um, so if that sounds of interest to you or you're just like not sure about what you want to do in your next steps of your journey all our contact details and website and all that kind of stuff is in the show notes um, so yeah you can click on it have a look around get in contact with us and we'll see how we can help um, also guys a while ago I was talking about we were going to get some sponsors and stuff like that because we're starting to get a few listens on the show. We actually had a few people come forward um, to, to sponsor the show, which was really cool. Um, thank those peeps. But thinking about it when shit's been kind of going crazy over the last uh, six months, we've decided um, that we're not actually going to do any sponsors for the show. Um, and yeah, we just want to kind of keep it cool, casual, uh, not intrusive or invasive for anyone. So, yeah, there'll be no sponsors and we'll just be able to, like, you know, have these free-flowing conversations and put stuff out. Um, so, in that case, the only thing I ask for, um, and it's really important for this show in particular, listen to me put the guilt trip on, um, is if you like what we're doing, um, podcasts grow from, like, word of mouth. So, tell someone, 
get people to listen. If you think it could help someone get them to listen, we would really appreciate it. And a big thing that helps um, with like the algorithms and stuff is on the podcasting apps, you can leave like reviews or like star ratings. Um, You can now follow like podcasts on the major ones major listening apps so if you if you like what we're doing again we're gonna not have on anything on here any ads any that um i'll try not to talk and do long intros like this we'll just try and bang out the shows but if you could just pass along the podcast and help us out we'd be super grateful for that because um yeah the the more that happens the more it helps us to kind of progress through the the ranks and um yeah hopefully reach more people um, and get them involved in making some changes in their life if that's what they're interested in doing. Um, okay, so that's the long tail ask and intro and all that kind of stuff. It's good to feel like we're back a little bit. Today was a really cool podcast for me, actually, um, because we spoke to Chris Rain. Um, so we're going to start trying to do some bios and shit just to like talk about the guests that we have on um and their expertise and and some of the guests we have are like pretty i call them the big dogs um i would consider (laughs) with some of the things that he's been a part of chris one of the big dogs so it was good to have him on the on the podcast um uh to share some of his knowledge so chris rain is a mental health and addiction social entrepreneur he was the founder and ex-ceo of hello sunday morning um a non-profit uh a non-profit that supports one of the largest communities in the world of people looking to change their relationship with alcohol. So many people have heard of Hello Sunday Morning, so Chris is the one that's behind that. Um, Thanks to the uh, support of several corporate um, foundations, Google, uh, Macquarie Bank, Vodafone and Nib, uh, as well as, or maybe that's, no, it is Nib, as well as governments across Australia and New Zealand, Hello Sunday Morning provides free access to peer and or clinical support for any Australian looking for change to change their relationship with alcohol in the moment they need it. Uh, Chris currently has a portfolio of roles uh, in the mental health and addiction sectors, including CEO of Australia for Mental Health, an advocacy, an advocacy organisation focused on mental health reform, head of partnerships at 360 Edge, a consultancy focused on improving the AOD sector and director of Clean Slate Clinic, a GP-led home detox service. Chris is a young Australian of the year from Queensland, a Westpac social change fellow um, and received a scholarship in social entrepreneurship to complete an MBA at Oxford University. So there you go. So uh, very well distinguished Chris and the thing that I like about him, no offence to academics, as you guys know, we've had plenty on the show, love him. But Chris is a doer and has built some, yeah, really um, substantial um, or built a substantial organisation in the AOD space in Australia. Hello Sunday Morning, as we say in the show, brought us into the 21st century. Really cool and has been a part of lots of other really um, great stuff too. So this is a really cool show um, for someone to listen to. That's a little bit like me, I suppose, that um, wants to do something cool, doesn't necessarily feel like they want to you know, work in the traditional um, roles in the field or whatever it might be or has their own ideas or whatever. Um, So, yeah, hopefully um, this show helps in some way uh, to to spark some excitement. Um, 
As always, hope you enjoy the show. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Promise the intros won't be this long all the time. Just needed to get a few things out. Um, All right, let's get into the show. Peace. All right, in uh, three, two, one, boom. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Uh, excited today, we've got Chris Rains on the show, um, who has actually done a lot and in the alcohol and drug space in terms of what I think. It's, it's probably not now because the years have moved on, but at the time it was very much so bringing innovative... Has ser- been. That's has right. been. <laughs> bringing uh, innovative services um, into the into the AOD space. Um, and would you say probably with Hello Sunday Morning, which we'll talk about a bit, was that sort of like the first app, would you say, in the alcohol and drug space in the in Australia? Probably. First big one anyway so. of any prominence, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, um, you know, one of the first communities of people kind of trying to recover in their own way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly the largest in Australia online. Yeah. And then, you know, it definitely evolved into more of a technology focus, which then it became an app or um, well, the behavior change can, part of the organization turned into the daybreak, which is, you know, now available for people. And um, so it's sort of evolved. Yeah. Cause that was always one of my, when I saw hello Sunday morning, um, come out all those years ago I was like so excited because that was always one of my things being a bit younger trying to turn my life around just at the time it felt like there was none of those like new technology um, options to to engage with so um, I'm excited that you were part of bringing us into the 21st century (laughs) yeah Um, welcome well you're welcome (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, so, but a lot of people probably, I don't know, or, ma- or maybe you have like, I- I'm not sure, but I don't think you've done heaps and heaps of like public facing stuff about you personally. It's been more in the background building some of these, um, products and services, which is, yeah, been really A lot cool. of people would disagree with that. They're like, <laughs> okay. Took my own horn any chance I get. <laughs> there you go. So while I'm excited to kind of hear your story a little bit, um, and the man behind some of these, some of these organisations. So um, my first question always is right: is most people when you talk about drugs and alcohol to them, they run the other direction. <laughs> so what got you interested in this space and involved in it? Well, I kind of find the um, the opposite is sort of true for me. Like, I think we're, you know, we're a drug-using society um, yeah. and people are fascinated by how and why we use them. Um, you know, and alcohol isn't, you know, very much, you know, it's the number one drug. It's the famous one. It's the <laughs> Nadal of drugs. Um, right. <laughs> I, like, I got into it, um, you know, you know, before I was born, like, you look at your yep. family history and um you know my family um family are kind of big drinkers you know there's not there's like a few outliers that um yep. you know didn't drink um but most people definitely drank um and a lot um and not to a point of a like addiction but definitely excessive drinkers and just big and, part of the you know, big 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 drinking culture in the family. 
Yeah, big time. Um, yeah. I t- when I told uh, my grandpa um, that I was doing Hell of Sunday Morning, you know, when I started it in my early 20s, and took a year <laughs> off drinking and he was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, you know, there's kind of a big binge drinking culture. And he's like, binge drinking? Your mother invented it. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, it's uh, good that I'm doing this then. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I come from. And like after working in the space, you know, with people such as yourself, um, and kind of, you know, we probably share a similar non-clinical background coming into AOD, um, you know, by the virtue of what we ended up doing. Um, and like, so I didn't, so I came from that perspective, um, and have been fascinated with it ever since. And it's a real purpose and mission of mine to work on improving service innovation and policy that can um, move the country and perhaps the world from a place where addiction is lifelong, um, complicated, poorly treated to one where lots of people have access to really great treatment. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. And you, you're right. I, th- I think that's an interesting point that people forget about as well. You, you mentioned that we're a drug using society, obviously in Australia, it's well talked about, you know, the Australian drinking culture, a lot of like pretty much everybody drinks or a lot of people drink. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people drink excessively. Um, but drugs as well, like that, that's what people forget. Like there's so many people <laughs> um, that use drugs, not necessarily um, in a harmful way or, or a way that's wrecking their life, but there's heaps of people that use drugs and there is a massive fascination with it in society. And I think people forget that. It's kind of weird, you know? <laughs> Mate, we, we like, I was just on having the arm of my um, stepmom who's, um, 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 who has got COVID, right? And she yeah. was talking about her symptoms and she was like, oh, um, you know, it's been pretty mild. Like I've had this, you know, this experience, like, you know, it's, I'm really lucky that it's not, wasn't the full-blown COVID. Yeah. And like both of us like, oh, thank fuck that, you know, we're vaccinated and, you know, because I had COVID too. And similarly, like it was pretty bad, but wasn't as bad as it could be. And I say that yeah. like as, you know, we use the drug to alleviate some of those um, symptoms. And, yeah. you know, recreationally, it's the same thing. We, you know, use drugs daily. I'm drinking a tea right now. Um, you know, it's got caffeine in it. Um, and I take antidepressant medication um, every day and yeah. different points in my life. And um, the, the real challenge that people like you and i have is like how do you help people navigate their use of them so they use the right one um that's going to cause least harm but there's no opt-out like you we live in a society that we need to use them um or need to make (laughs) informed choices on how we use them and it's about finding the right one uh for you as an individual to live the life that you want yeah and it is funny when you strip it back and you look at it um you know, you mentioned antidepressants then, uh, and then if you, yeah, you weigh some of the legal drugs uh, that you might get prescribed by the doctor, and if you just take away the labels from them and just look at like the chemical compounds in terms of how potent and powerful they are, a lot of them are the same as a illicit drug, but it's just 
viewed differently in society. So then it creates this whole um, different way in which we approach it and think about it. Um, it's it's just it's weird when you think about it. It is really strange the relationship that society has with different drugs, different substances for no good reason sometimes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the, I remember um, like starting starting to write um, a book about the culture and how we use drugs and talking to some, my, my parents are both doctors. So yeah, um, talking to some of them, their friends and one of their doctor mates said to me that, you know, the only difference between a... Um, uh, a poison and a medicine is a dose. dose. And I think when we have a society that's more oriented towards that um, objective view of what is a poison for this person and what is a medicine for this poison um, and has some rigor around understanding that and the right information, um, that's a much better society than one where we're just by default make them poisons and um and that's culture like and i think that culture can and is changing yeah 100 percent. so if you don't mind me asking you you mentioned that um you you take antidepressants was was that part of your journey into wanting to kind of get into the yeah, like I guess you call drug and alcohol space. It it is in some ways part of the mental health space as well. Was that part of it? Like your own personal experiences, just with internal struggles, if you want to call it that. It's it springs from um, like for me an intuition um, with my own mind, and I would say like Freud has this great line, which is the the price of civilization is neuroses. Yeah. So just like drugs exist neuroses exist like anxiety depression for me um it you know is the price that my mind my brain pays um for like living the life that i do and the life that i want um and so antidepressants have come in like very handy for me um like at different points so i've had three this is my third trot on antidepressants starting in my early 20s, um, you know, on for two years and then off and then back on them again and then off them again and on them again. And I don't say that like, oh, you're on and off. It's more like I just intuitively know, like, there comes a point. um, And and actually there's a a great reference in Bruce Springsteen's autobiography where (laughs) he, he comes to a similar point and his wife is like, I'm going to take you to a doctor and he goes to the doctor. It's like, get this man a pill. Like he needs it. Like, you know, and then Bruce Springsteen's like, you know, the world's most famous rocker. Like, and he has these points in his life and he's a very intuitive man. He's like, I um, need this to survive. Like I need this to function and to live a good life. And yeah. And so that, that's a very similar experience for me. And there's a lot of kind of trial and error and I'm lucky that the antidepressants that I take, um, they're called Valdoxin, um, they're an SSRI and they work on um, both my serotonin but also melatonin receptors yep. and um, not that I understand the science of it but for <laughs> me I take it every day and it feels um, like my life is qualitatively better. Yeah. And um, if 
you know, my dad, um, who's a GP, you know, and really kindly once said to me, like, Chris, this is something that you'll have for the rest of your life. Like, and I look at it like herpes, like sometimes it's going to flare up, you know, like, and I'm going to need some drugs to help me um, yeah. treat it and deal with it and um, function in the way I want to function. So I'm very proud of my choices in terms of uh, medication. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Um, so I think one of the cool things that I didn't suspect from um, this show so, so part of the reason why we wanted to do the podcast was obviously, and you know this about me, tell people's like personal stories, really passionate about that, getting that out there. But also one of the things that's happened to me in, um, and I'm sure it's probably the same with you in this drug and alcohol space is just being fortunate enough to meet, um, I muck around and call them the big dogs, but, you know, meet different people that come at it from different, perspectives that have spent their life working on research or clinical practice in the drug and alcohol space and it's really changed the way in which I've thought about you know substance use myself my own story for the better and and to help me and I've always thought that one of the cool it would be really cool to be able to do that on at a bit more scale um and see if we can move the conversation into a different space um and one of the cool things that's happened is through talking to professionals or people like yourself that have created services or work in research or whatever, we've had so much interest from people that work in the field. Um, as someone that's kind of come into the alcohol and drug space from a different angle and kind of created something super substantial and become a whole new service, but at the time was doing it in a very different way. How do you, what advice would you give to someone to actually go about doing that if they want to do something in the drug and alcohol space? Because so many people um, that I talk to don't want to just go into like the the standard services and that's not to bag that, but you know, people have their own ideas. They want to do stuff. What would you say to people? How do they, how do they get involved? And was it hard? Did it happen quickly? Yeah. Well, number one, I think um, it, the first step is like self-awareness, like why you're doing it. And I yeah. think that it maybe only comes with time, but like in, you know, doing a lot of therapy, um, particularly towards the end of um, my time with Hello Sunday Morning, I really came to the realisation that a lot of what I was trying to do by building Hello Sunday Morning outside the clinical medical model was to prove my dad wrong. Like, you know, he's a GP, <laughs> very black and white. Like, you know, this is how it is. And <laughs> like, so my advice is like, maybe you have to go on that journey um, to do that. But if you can do therapy first, um, you might come to the realisation that I have now and some principles that I have now around working with people is I only want to work with clinicians. So like, I think, some of the challenges that we had with Hello Sunday Morning, like we built a real, it was a real struggle to get funding and support and to build things. Um, and we had to retrofit a lot of the clinical yeah. evidence base and practice into it. And it like, and now the work that I do with organizations, I work um, with in, in concert with clinical experts and it makes the process so much easier. And there's some, incredible um clinicians who you know like nicole lee that we work with um 
and in another organization that I have, I work with um, Dr. Chris Davis, who is an expert yep. in um, in home detox, and I've been, we built a business together with him. And then I, in my mental health advocacy work, I work with Pat McGorry and Ian Hickey. Yep. And um, there's a humbling process that I think comes to that. But I have a skill, which is building partnerships, fundraising, um, and I've learned that skill. And that's not a skill that clinicians often have. So my advice to someone coming at it from a different angle is you can bring a lot to the field and to help people and like in you know peer work is, is like critical for that but i would strongly encourage you to work with someone that has a um they have the ticket you know they have the ticket within the system and you're going to add to that like rather yeah. than create something outside of that and i know that's sort of probably counter maybe to a bit of your philosophy which i'm really you know keen to get your and debate it with you um if, it, if you have a different point of view. Um, but just for me, I'm like, I don't need to um, push my push the boulder up that mountain um, <laughs> to prove my dad wrong. You know, like, like I've made peace with my, my, my dad and I made peace with why I was doing it. But like, if we really want to have, if I, if I really want to have the impact I want to have on the addic- like the nature of addiction in society, the most effective more likely way of doing that is working with clinical experts that have the knowledge and the keys to the car that we can drive together. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. I'm, I'm on board with that. I, I, I think it's interesting what you said and thanks for being honest with that. It's, it's funny because that's the truth for a lot of people, not just in alcohol and drugs in any kind of space that anyone goes into. Often there's the sort of, deep psychological reasons that are <laughs> kicking around in the background that they that they might not know or might not admit to themselves so when you realized that or accepted that that's what you were doing I imagine there was some sort of shift that you had and then did at that time when you were building hello Sunday morning did that um like start to go better when you like changed your approach or when you had more awareness around your own self or well first it went poorly um we <laughs> like so with hello sunday morning like um i mean let's look at it like a 10-year history yeah the first um you know four to five years was um like building a movement like anyone can sign up and we'll sort of like a peer-led movement we'll sign up and support you um in whatever change you want and you can still the essence of that is still embedded in the work that Hello Sunday Morning does. Yeah. Um, so you go to daybreak, you'll see people's stories and you'll see people that have similar stories around the changes they want to make and then supporting each other. And that's a lovely, lovely thing to see. But what, um, and then what happened was I went and did an MBA um, to think about, because the challenge is always like growing it. Like how do we build a, like there were points where we lost our funding um, and had to fire the whole team. It was very traumatic. I was like, <laughs> I want to build a great um, organization that is an institution, like that will be yeah. here beyond my time with it. So that was my goal. But the challenge that arose with that was um, with the size of community, which was tens of thousands of people at that point, w- there was a lot of clinical risk there. There are a lot of people that would stop drinking and were having withdrawals, but 
and you know services are out there to help them and maybe our pieces and that but we're like well they're also that part of it is also our responsibility we can't kind of put our head in the sand yeah. and go oh well not our problem you know like we need to care for the community that chose us so after coming back from the mba i was like i'm gonna we are going to move towards more of treatment provision by building in a stronger evidence base um yeah. adding in psychologists adding in alcohol and drug counselors into the mix to help people with these more complicated tasks and at that point um you know where it went poorly was um i don't think i'd fully worked out my shit at that point um or my piece with my dad as i said like so like i brought in um doctors and kind of like um and the debates that we had and like it was a real um rough time to try and retrofit that in and we had like psychologists that would come in and then they quit and like and i never like um there was sort of it was like an awkward period of time like we did yeah. the work and we moved it and that's where hell sunday morning is now but it was like it was maybe a necessary awkward period um and probably because the clinicians that i i trusted um i um you know sorry i didn't quite trust because i probably employed very um sort of single-minded authoritative people like this is how yeah. it needs to be you know, I yeah. tried, you know basically tried to find my dad to bring him in and, and have the conflict <laughs> um this is like therapy now jack like, i I'm love just, it i I'm love just it going for it like, no, but this is and then it's awesome because this is the shit that happened like i i have had similar experiences in you know stuff that i've set up and whatever and speaking to other people but people don't talk about it so it's awesome mate. it's awesome yeah um and then you know over time it got better and better but by the time i left tell sunday morning which was about two years ago now um yeah. it was in it was an okay place like in terms of the dynamic between the technology team and the clinical team um or the like the community you know tech kind of like yeah you know the platform and the clinical team it was always a great amount of friction there yeah. and that you know friction led me i was like it was sort of like a relationship that was like being built over time but it led me to the principles that i now have which is i'll only start something if there's a clinical expert yeah. um there like and they know they have built up that knowledge and i'm adding i'm like taking their work and expanding it um as yeah. opposed to i've got an idea around um this piece of aod and i'm going to start it like i just haven't got the appetite for that anymore like um <laughs> it is hard work much. isn't it yeah it's hard work like and in a way kind of ego driven like you know which yeah. is, I just exactly what i did yeah. um and moreover there are so many fucking awesome clinicians that have spent like care about this problem in the same way they want to do something about it but they're uh, worldview is like one-to-one -one, like this you know work one-to-one -one. and then yeah. but there's an intuition that this could be bigger like this could be systematic change and that's why i love people like nicole because she thinks like that and then she needs people like you and me to come in and go well how do we operationalize that um and how do we build a program that that does that and so that for me has been a you know a big kind of hard fought lesson to get to yeah awesome mate no i love that and everybody that is not a beer or anything that is sparkling water. I just feel like I have to clarify because I've been buying these cans of sparkling water because I just, I don't know, love it, I drink it. And 
people keep asking me, is that beer? But anyway. And this is not a tea. This is vodka. <laughs> um, so that's really cool. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, I appreciate you just like kind of going there and un- unpacking it. So just to give everybody an idea though, because I am conscious, I, I feel like you might like Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning, hello, Sunday morning is now like something pretty, pretty big. So when you finished there two years ago or now, I'm sure you're still in touch with the guys and whatever. Um, what, what kind of like numbers of people use the, use the app and engage in the services for support and stuff like that? So now um, talking to the, um, the new CEO, Andy, um, he says there's 100,000 people using Daybreak, um, which yeah. is amazing. Like, and we were also able to navigate as, as a part of like building in a stronger evidence base and kind of legitimizing the behavior change model um, through a lot of research and evaluation. Um, to get, uh, we have like Hello Sunday Morning has a multi-year government contract um, to make it free for all Australians that that need support. So that came as a result of that pivot. Um, yeah. But the size of it is, you know, huge. Like, um, and you know, for your listeners, I encourage you to download Daybreak, and even if you don't need it for yourself, just to see the the sort of tenor of the community and how it is so supportive and. The model of care and you can literally you know immediately talk to a counselor and then you know if you need to a psychologist and it's very accessible for people um that are dealing with these problems and that was always the the vision for it um but you know when you compare so there's there's um from aa there's sort of twenty thousand or so people in the country that are members of AA in Australia, and those numbers are sort of hard to pin down. But when you compare that, you know, to 100,000 people, um, it's a much larger group of people, uh, much more diverse um, kind of relationships with alcohol and relationships with themselves that lead to different relationships with alcohol. So it's a, it's a huge sort of scale um, of community. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I think... You know that that's just it's just good for people to know that as well because when you're explaining it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not just like you help to build this like small little service. It's it's a massive it's a massive service that's having huge impact. So, roughly, how long did it take you to to build it? Was it like ten years to get it to that stage, or a, t- a little bit under? Or yeah, well, we had um, when when I when we kicked it off two thousand. I think I did my, year, my first year of not drinking in 2009. And then the first year in 2010, we had five people. Um, and at that point, it was a blog and people would sign up for three months of not drinking and, you know, share their experience. You know, it's yeah. like five of my friends really um, that wanted to do that too. And it wasn't, I didn't start it originally to, for other people to do it. Um, but then my housemate one day was like, hey, would you mind if I like blog on there? Two, and I was like, initially, I was like, nah, man, this is my thing. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't want you to like, 
and then but potentially you know convinced me um to do it and i'm thankful that he did because as soon as there was like two it's like oh there's two different stories here and it's like and that in life like the story is the thing like the story is what matter, like how you change your story and then that became more interesting and then you know people that i didn't know signed up and that was like you know kind of year three and that grew to like 150 people and yep. then journal like jill stark um kind of oh yeah we had her we had her on the podcast she's awesome yeah so she she got like it sort of like started to get a little bit of media at that point um and jill covered it in this story and did her own 12 months of not drinking and she blogged on hell sunday morning too so that's, that's how she got in there and her story you know um then led to her book like so yep. the publisher the publisher was like oh we want to you know and she's sort of gone on and um and, and done that but that gave it the profile and it kind of grew into the, the thousands and the vision was to get to 10,000 by 2013 which is um what we did and then and then it kind of keep kept growing and then um yeah it's sort of just it's it's not like a um you know an exponential growth it's just sort of like mm. sort of like doubling and doubling and doubling and like keeps it just sort of keeps going and yeah probably last sort of few years um growth has been less important to um kind of service fidelity and improving improving the experience of people and managing risk and um and so you know it doesn't need to have you know a billion people like it's not a social media platform it's a it is a service you know that that there's a kind of niche group of people that need this help so how do we you know capture all of them and make sure that that you know this is one of their um tools and the toolkit for their own recovery yeah so mate it's so cool and my my biggest question is because this is something that like i've learned over the time that i think people kind of forget about is whether people pay for it or it's funded by the government or whatever someone's paying for it right whether it's the taxpayer or it's the or it's people out of their own pocket or whatever so yeah you you mentioned at the at the start like kind of funding it was the hardest thing how did you how did you go about yeah working out how to get it funded and what would you suggest is the best way for people to to kind of get something off the ground if they want to if they want to do something because i literally have so many people contact me and go really want to do this really want to do that how do i get money how do i charge you know and it's just like i don't know <laughs> well, my advice for that would be if you don't enjoy asking for money you need to be working with someone that does um yeah so like find a partner um or someone that is good at asking for money and there's lots of people out there and i'm not that i've kind of got better at it over time but in the beginning i was good enough to add it at asking for money um and pitching things to um you know to get it going but then i wasn't good enough um at following up and like the kind of real grind um, that sales people really love or like, you know, yeah. fundraising people really love. And so when, you know, we went through, we had like, I got a grant um, and then. Um, so was that the main way you got it funded? You got all grants at the, pretty much at the start? Yeah, like, um, 
the first bit of money when it was a blog um came like and i was still working in advertising at the time yeah and the advertising agency had Brisbane city council as a client and um you know this is when like binge drinking was a big kind of like you know binge drinking was like the thing that we needed to fix in our society so like there was a cultural kind of point that people were interested in this as a thing yeah and then we went into the ceo's the ceo of um, Brisbane city council's office and like no one wanted to fund a blog um about one advertising dude not drinking um <laughs> like you know like it wasn't the like, you know but we asked you know and and so went in there and the ceo and you just have like a lucky break sometimes and the ceo's like the, the you know the bureaucrat was like well we're not gonna you know do this like and for good reason like I, you know i didn't expect them and then the ceo's like nah nah find this guy some money like you know give him 20 grand or whatever it was and you just find advocates like that that just see a good idea and they'll back it and they're out there like and you need a bit of luck there and that was the first bit of money that came in. And then I started, um, I was like, I decided that this is what I want to do with my life. So there's a good kind of um, boat burning moment, I think, that can happen if you really care about something where you kind of have to make it into an income. And yeah. um, so that point, I like started selling to um, universities. So I was like in my early 20s and they're like, oh, this is a dude that kind of, you know, um and i like you know encourages people to take a break from drinking and he's in his 20s like that's a you know novelty and so i pitched to universities to come and like i'll come and give a talk and like talk about hellas that morning and so i made like an income doing that um going into universities and telling them to take a break from drinking which is quite <laughs> a lot of confidence um at that point but anyway needed to eat and then, um, <laughs> so then that then evolved, um, Queensland Health were like, um, all right, we'll, we'll fund it, but you have to be a nonprofit. Like, so yeah. then that moved to a Sunday morning from kind of a sort of pseudo company structure into a nonprofit so that we could get a grant from Queensland Health to, um, do some more work with them. And then like, mate, so many different, like, them, you know, then sort of ran out of money or I ran out of money and had to fire the five people that were like, we sort of built up the point. And then the next guy that I hired um, was a guy called Jamie Moore. And he is fucking awesome at um, fundraising and partnerships. Like he's the best, Like yeah. I'm, I'm okay. But like, and together over the, you know, the ensuing sort of eight years, we like when like, um, you know, just kept, building partnerships with people and growing it and like getting a lot of rejections like and you have to be comfortable with that um for people like you know some we laugh and it was good doing it in a partnership because we laugh about the rejection ones like you know going and meeting the community managers at nrl and pitching hell is like a, a partnership with hell sunday morning and like just the fucking grimaces on their face and they're like <laughs> we have alcohol sponsors like and like it was like you know any questions <laughs> i guess we'll just yeah you guys fuck off um that's funny like uh, but like you know doing that is fun man like you know when you do it with in partnership the fundraising bit you people see it as like daunting but it's just asking you know like yes yeah. 
and you just have to be comfortable and make be curious about the rejections and not like take it personally and a lot of people rejected us in the early days that then became funders in the future and the funders for the shit that i'm doing now like it's yeah. not a um you know it's not a personal thing there's timing and but like you focus on the relationship but you got to ask and you know no one's going to hand it to you and yeah and if you complain about that like you, you're wasting your breath like I, lo- I love that mate and i'm glad that we fleshed that out because that's the that's the thing is that it it is it is difficult and it takes time and it's a bit of it's it's hard work but you just got to be persistent right and just kind of ask people for for help totally yeah. you never know like what you and jack for your listeners like jack and i are working on a on a proposal now to do a a peer-led kind of support program um and we're at the very beginning like what a proposal looks like i starting to talk to people there's a good chance it won't come off there's a chance that it will and that's yeah. all we need to go for like talk to people and find the opportunity and build it and that's how all things start like you just you can't um like two things like don't you gotta you gotta put something together and you gotta put it in front of people and ask them if they're interested and there's so many things so many ideas and partnerships and stuff that haven't come off um and it's just important not to take it personally and like you know there's plenty of good ideas and like just you know you need to have a bit of luck opportunity and the confidence and curiosity around what you know what a no might look like and when you get that it's like you know who cares like it's not don't take it personally yeah that's right awesome mate so what are you what are you doing now Do, tell us about the clean clean slate clinic um and uh you know how that all works uh and then i'm and then i'm gonna ask you the uh the big tough questions after that <laughs> all right sweet um well my purpose in life is um to do to contribute my skills to australia so that we move from a country where one in 20 people have a daily addiction to one in a hundred um and that is um you know that requires policy change and it requires innovative um service development so when people do have an addiction it's brief intervened early and really well treated um and as a culture we see addiction as being part of being human like cancer you know and it's just you just get great treatment when it happens and it's inevitable um yeah and so the work that I'm doing now and where I've come to land is I love doing a portfolio of things um, that are working on different parts of the problem with people that I really love and respect. Um, and so um, my kind of um, two main or three main jobs at the moment, um, one is helping 360 Edge, um, which is a consultancy focused on improving the AOD sector, um, which is a really niche consultancy that helps people help services and helps government in, like bring their drug and alcohol policy into you know this century and, and like across companies and um so my job there is around partnerships and trying to Im- improve and grow that work um my other job is um running an advocacy movement called australians for mental health 
which is focused on mental health reform. So every election and budget to improve mental health advocacy for people with lived experience so that there's more money available and treatment's better for people that need help. And then the third one is a company that I started with um, a GP called Chris Davis, who is, um, you know, a world leading expert in GP led home detox. So for people that want to do um, alcohol or drug withdrawal from home rather than go to a rehab or hospital. Um, and he's built a really great clinical model there. And so with him and our CEO of that organization, Pierre Quinton Tarastad, who used to be the ex head of healthcare at Deloitte and as a health economist, the three of us have taken that model and put it into a telehealth model. And so um, we, for that business, we work with PHNs, so like the um, you know government organisations that want to fund um, detox places affordably for people that want to do it at home and can and are suitable for it, but also insurers that want to offer that as an alternative for their members um, rather than you know going to a hospital to do the detox. If they want to do it at home, they can do that. And then individuals that want to pay for it privately um, but don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on the, for the privilege. So um, we, you know, are sort of growing slowly. And um, and so, yeah, so they're my like little portfolio of things that I'll, you know, add to, take away, um, you know, as needed. Um, but the, the sort of vision and purpose for me is really clearly around improving you know, the system for as many people as I can. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Awesome. So you're obviously someone that's um, kind of uh, free-spirited, entrepreneurial, uh, wants to kind of bring new and innovative services, as you said, in into the space. So coming at it from that angle and all the stuff that you're doing now, like what do you think needs to change in the whole system reform because would you agree that it's kind of not quite working in its current <laughs> in its current evolution well all things are working but who they're working for yeah, um, yeah, yeah so here's what like and i'm actually thinking about going back and studying another year doing a master's in policy or something because i really want to understand how to affect um better policy reform but um my thinking is like to achieve that vision. Let's say let's say that the number is um, moving from one in twenty to one in a hundred. We have to do the kind of reforms that we've done in tobacco control um, across all drugs of addiction, um, and that means kind of finding a new equilibrium around how we uh, sell, promote, um, provide access to. Um, drugs that are you know habit forming and so there's a lot of uh, policy change that needs to happen like i don't i think that um, drugs of addiction shouldn't have the license to advertise um and i think they should be hard to get um and require people to really consider their choices but they should also be available i don't believe in prohibition i think that um i think we need policies that maximize individual choice but minimize um, collective harms yeah so you know the vision for that on the, like um sort of the policy level is that um you know things are available and we constantly change and tweak 
the availability of them and how we um, promote them and sell them in a society um, according to the levels of harms to get to that point where fewer people um, you know that that are risk that are, have a potential for harm have access to them and then on the other side we also need um, ubiquitous um, very attractive amazing therapy and treatments for people you know when you do get and inevitably will get in a spot of harm and so when um and for me that it is things like doubling the capacity of the uh, mental health workforce and aod workforce like making sure that people in that field there's a lot of people to help people with these growing problems and we over invest in it as a society and um, and that also means that um, I keep doing research into new ways of treating the mind, like psychedelic-assisted therapy or digital therapeutics. And like, and as a society, we're proud of that that work and keep on work um, building new models of like peer care and how that works with different people, and so that everyone has someone to turn to or someone somewhere to go. Um, and then, you know, in the clinical model side, like we need to reimagine um, primary care to orient it towards mental health and addiction. Like if that's the gate that people come through in the model system, like how do we spend more time helping people with, um, you know, finding the right medication for them or medication review, like, you know, that kind of clinical interaction with a person's mind. And so there's a lot that can be done. Like a lot of things could actually have a significant impact. And if you take tobacco as one example, um, you know, 50 years ago, one in two people smoked daily, like one in two adults smoked daily. And now it's one in 10, which still seems like a lot of like, it's like a big challenge, but okay, well, how do we just 10X that? And then with the other kind of um, problems of addiction, like in alcohol, like how do we like, progressively change policies so that fewer people have a daily consumption of it um, and that if they are consuming the, the product daily, which normally is a, often, a, I mean, unless it's like small amounts, often indicated that there's something else that needs treated, how do we really help encourage them to find that treatment as quickly yeah. as possible and when they're ready? Um, and I think there's a lot there to be done. So one question I have, interesting around your your thinking around it is you know they're heavily related but separated out mental health system and the aod system um and i can't remember the the um figures but everybody acknowledges that the aod system in particular is like heavily under um funded and capitalized right uh, and mental health probably the same but in the last i don't know five six seven years there's been lots more like money come in why despite lots more money coming into the mental health does the problem seem to kind of be getting worse and people more than ever seem to kind of be complaining about the services and how they're delivered you know like how did I guess for the AOD system from how you see it and because you do the advocacy in, in both, like you said, like, like how do you stop that from happening in AOD um, in the future, hopefully, <laughs> or, or what needs to change in the mental health? And, or do you agree with that 
you know, that there's more money than ever, but it seems that things are worse. I just don't think it's enough. Like, yeah. And, and maybe honestly, maybe it'll never be enough. Like, yeah. maybe like, like going back to what Freud said, like the price of civilization is neuroses and like we're only becoming more civilized. Like we're only getting more things that make us anxious, like social media change and like global pandemics, climate change, like, no like dollar spent on mental health or addiction is a bad dollar to be spent like i mean yeah what better thing in your own life or as a system can you optimize for which is helping people make sense and peace with their existence like um for me it like well like the the trope that oh we spent all this money and like nothing's happened well like it's the problem's fucking huge like for a lot of people (laughs) and it needs tens of billions of dollars more to build a system that is effective for a population that's only becoming more anxious and more depressed and like it's not their fault it's just that's the the times that we live in and so i think i mean the aod mental health system debate it's beyond my pay grade I don't really understand it. Um, like I just see people that need help, like people that need support and, um, you know, whatever door you go into, if, like for me, success is like you go into a door and someone takes care of you and, you know, you, you put on a path towards the recovery towards the, like, and we all go through it, like towards the path you want to be on, like whether that's a AOD worker or a counselor or a peer worker or, psychologist or psychiatrist like whatever like i mean it doesn't matter to me it matters to a lot of people and a lot of people that i work with um yeah and, and maybe for good reason but i just sort of have a, a philosophy that is i just want to help see systems that help more people like and like um and i think diagnoses are often like i love my depression diagnosis is useful because i can navigate my life yeah um and but and i think that's where the value is on a personal level um for your own life but like saying that you know we only treat people that have this diagnosis and like maybe that's useful but i don't know it's just i don't really care for it so yeah maybe that's naive i don't know yeah yeah it's no it's it's interesting um I, I just think there's there's got to be a point where not not where you say it's enough. Don't get me wrong, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm all for more money flowing in, but I do I do get worried that because to me, when I talk to people, and maybe it's just me thinking about it cynically, that you know care about the space and want to do stuff. Sometimes it just feels like everybody's yelling, like just give me more money, <laughs> and it's like at what point the there has to be like some acknowledgement that things have to change on some level to get better outcomes with that money you know like so for instance i nearly fell off my chair i didn't know this but a, a little while ago um we were going through uh, uh i was talking to someone about the um the national ice action strategy that and there was like, I can't remember how much money, but there was quite a bit of money that got funded into that. And there was no, um, 
there was no like outcome set up in that whole package. So there was basically just all this money given to this thing with no kind of North Star about <laughs> what you wanted it to achieve. And then so you get to the end of like six years or whatever and it sort of can't be evaluated because there's no <laughs> – we're just like kind of stabbing – just stuff like that just blows me away. Um, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, there's just probably lessons to be learned about governance there, but I – mean, it's just money. Like we're talking about people's lives. Like yeah. a government says, oh, I'll, well, I'll put $10 billion into helping people with methamphetamines. And, you know, half of that works for people. Half of it gets us great. Like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I think, um, like it's, it's complicated to um like to move your mind into an abstraction of an you know 25 million people um impossible even i think for a human brain to understand so like we track it back down to what we know and often that's like the economics of it um <laughs> and but like I mean, this is sort of, yeah, my stuff in mental health. I was like, I think we, I will like, I don't think, like if you have um, a dollar to spend somewhere, like, and you donate it to uh, an AOD facility, I don't think that there's like, the. I think the concept of like trying to, well, how are you spending that? What are you, you know, like, kind of doing it on? Um, I don't know. I'm sort of more of just like a more is better guy when it comes to spending money on treatment and mental health. Like I think there's nothing, yeah. there's no better investment that we can make, even if some of that investment isn't, um, you know, it, it, I like definitely encourage like good governance and good evaluation for it. Um, but the challenge I think, and with that um, feedback would be, um, I think when, if we as a sector just become critical of how we as a society spend money and try and pick holes in it, um, I think that's important, but we have to couch it in the view that actually it's a good thing that we're doing. Like, it's good that we as a society want to help people with methamphetamine addiction, even if like all yeah. the money goes there and everyone just goes, well, we're doing methamphetamine addiction and we're actually helping people with alcohol. Because that's how government and politics moves. <laughs> yeah. Um, so well done. Like, you know, me, I'm like, <laughs> awesome. Put the money in there, like, well done. Maybe we should consider like better government stru governance structures and evaluation for it. Or maybe we should put, you know, the next investment of tranche that you do, let's do it there. Like um starting from that perspective is like because the alternative is. Why'd you give all this money, you know, coming from the set, why'd you give all this money to the sector and how do you know like where it went? And if I'm a politician that doesn't give a shit about this stuff, I'm not gonna go, oh, we should do that again. Like we're gonna get yeah. like beaten up by people from the sector. Like, um, you know, like you one no, nah, well, let's just, you know, put our money in wind farms and you know, <laughs> coal mines and stuff like, you know, where then they're, they're not gonna be critical of how we gave it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's a bit of a 
hopefully. No, no, no. Awesome. I know what you mean. Uh, it, it's good. It's good. It, it's it's part of why I, I bring these things up because I'm interested in in people's perspectives. So um, the the last question I had, which is always a, <laughs> a, a contentious one, a little bit as well, is. Uh, and I don't know if you said with Clean Slate Clinic, I think you did that people can pay for it privately. Like what what kind of um uh what kind of place do private p- providers hold in this whole um space? And do you think there needs to be stuff that changes there or or um there needs to be more involvement from private providers? Yeah, like what What's your thoughts on that? Insurers, you mean? Or no, like uh, I guess like fee for service um, services. So uh, I, I don't know if Clean State Clinic does that, but yeah, like people come yeah. and, and they pay, you know, out of their own pocket or they pay a percentage out of their pocket and they're covered by health insurance or whatever it is, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Because like there's a there's a there's a segment of people that I talk to that just believe that private providers shouldn't exist at all, <laughs> you yeah. know, in this in this space. Do you think like what do you think the balance is with that? Where does it where does it begin and end? And is there more is there more of a role to play for private providers? Yeah, I mean, I'll work with anyone. Like, if yeah. someone wants to help help us um help more people live a better life and get into recovery or like you know detox for a week um i'm optimized for that principle so like if if insurers are going to help us help more of them and it's good for their members and it's more affordable um fantastic if the government wants to do it awesome if a person wants to pay for the service rather than, you know, wait six months to get into a facility, we'll do we'll take their money. And and I know that we do with a value. Um so our private the, the price that it costs to go privately through our detox service is three grand. Yeah. And I know that like that'll be the best three grand that a person that's had a daily addiction for 10 years um will ever spend. Like they'll spend that multiples on alcohol. And the problems associated with it and family relationships and all that stuff. Like, so I've no um, qualms about charging. It's really affordable. Um, and that's roughly the same price. It's a bit cheaper for public, for um, sort of government clients. Um, and they buy bulk um, sort of things. But yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm more of like, this is the system that we have. And I'm like, I want to change the system, but not that bit. I don't, I want to change the kind of addiction thing, but like how things are paid for. Um, I'm, I, as long as I can get the money to do like the work that my teams do, I don't really care. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's good. It's just, um, it's, uh, and the part of the reason why I ask, right. Is because I do private stuff as well and have in the past. And it's this weird thing that I went through it took me ages to kind of overcome it was like this, I don't know. I just felt bad, <laughs> you know, like charging people in a time of need or whatever. Um, and it took me quite a while to, 
and talking to different people and all that to like get my head in that space of well though this is actually valuable um and the reason why i ask is because there's a lot of other people that struggle with that too that want to do stuff have a different way of thinking about their service or whatever um have qualifications want to charge for it um but then yeah like struggle with it and you know struggle with uh uh feedback that they get from other people and and stuff like that you know so it's it's interesting totally. yeah yeah it's it is a challenge for sure hey mate i really appreciate you coming on um and just like kind of telling us about your experience and i hope that's helpful for people listening to uh to you know if they want to do something a bit different that you can do it um and that there is a pathway there so appreciate it mate it's been great to you mate appreciate all the cool things you've done as well so um i'll put all the links to the different things that chris is involved in in the show notes and uh if you want to follow up with him and hassling you can uh find him there <laughs> awesome cheers right. jack you're doing Thanks, great mate. work mate have a good Take day see ya boom so that was the podcast people hope you enjoyed that good to be back uh good to have chris on the show uh he's very inspiring for me um done some really cool things so i hope some of the advice and um thoughts that he had on the space and how to go about it helps and resonates with people um as always if you need help uh beating addictive patterns but you don't want to go away to rehab and engage in the traditional treatment system you know be away from friends or family for 30 60 90 days um we run a program called connection based living where we help people to beat addictive patterns without having to go to rehab so if that's of interest to you uh click the links down below and um feel free to give us a call and if we can't help we'll point you in the right direction um hope everybody has a good week uh we're gonna try for wednesdays to release these shows it seems to be the best day for listens um but also it's a nice little midweek pick me up for some people anyway <laughs> um so again guys thanks so much for listening we really appreciate it and we look forward to vibing in your ears again soon peace